morning, all. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. A very warm welcome to all our visitors. Um, as we know, Pastor Gareth and his family are away in India at the moment, so I encourage you to please continue to pray for him and to pray for his family for a safe return, for they'll be joining us soon. So as you know, we, are, or we remain in the season of Advent, Advent where we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Now we know that the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And then in the 4th and the 5th century, there was a period where there was preparation for baptism for the new Christians, where believers would spend about 40 days in fasting and praying and preparing for this great celebration of baptism. But over a period of time, Advent was then connected to the coming of Christ. But originally, the Christians thought that it was the second coming of Christ. However, in the Middle Ages, it then became connected with Christ's first coming, of which we celebrate Christmas. And today, uh, the Advent season occurs over four weeks, and this leads up to Christmas every year. And of course, the Advent season helps us to prepare our hearts for Christmas. It helps us to set aside the craziness the hustle and bustle of everyday life. It is a chance for us to focus on the gift that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who stepped down from heaven, who took on flesh so that we might believe and be saved. Pastor Gareth opened up our Advent season with Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which pointed us to the steadfast hope that we have in Christ. And last week, Pastor Pedro showed us that we have a steadfast trust and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, traditionally, the third Sunday in Advent is associated with joy. It is also called Gaudet Sunday, which is rejoice. So we are to rejoice. We are to rejoice in Jesus because he came, he died, he was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven so that we might live forever in his kingdom. So we are to reflect on joy in Jesus this season. And one of the defining characteristics of believers is that we are to have a joyful attitude. We are to be joyful because we have the victory over sin and death and hell. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, where is the joy today? Maybe you're not feeling the joy in your heart this Christmas season. You just have to turn on the news, right? And all you see is news that is disaster, where there's chaos, where there seems to be a lot of mayhem around. I mean, we are in the midst of war, and there's a threat of nuclear action. We've just come out of a, pande a pandemic. Oh. We good? <laughs> Sorry about that. So there seems to be lots of conflict. There's flooding, there's droughts, and there's famine all across the world. The political parties across the globe also can't seem to find any solutions, right? And the rise of cost of living is a concern to many people around the globe. But closer to home, perhaps you have suffered much loss. Perhaps you've had loss of a loved one this season. Perhaps you've lost your job and you don't know how you will make rent this month. Or maybe you are at school 
and you are being bullied and teased at school. So whatever situation you find yourself this morning, I want to show you from the scriptures that there is joy in the baby Jesus. I want to direct your attention to the steadfast joy that we have in Christ, our Savior. So that's the title of my message today. So our reading, or our scripture reading this morning, is taken from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. So if you all wouldn't mind standing, so we can show reverence for God's word, and we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, beginning at chapter 2, verses 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel of a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem, And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, we just thank you for this day that you have given us. For every day that we are here is a true and wonderful gift from you, Lord. So, Lord, we want to thank you for your word, Lord. And we pray that as we study your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit helps us, that your Holy Spirit ignites the joy in our hearts for the gospel, Father, so that we can be doers of your word, not just hearers, Father. May your word transform our lives, Lord, so that we can show the joy of the gospel to those around us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, in your sight, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm sure you may have heard of the term, happy wife, happy life, right? Or the ultimate goal in life is the pursuit of happiness. Now these terms tend to be what we throw around in everyday society, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, I don't want to be a buzzkill and say that I am anti-happy, right? But I like to be happy just as much as the next person. However, The world's definition of happiness is very different, isn't it? It's more related to our current circumstances. When our circumstances are favorable, 
we are happy. When our circumstances are not so favorable, we are not happy, right? But as you well know, our circumstances are always changing. So it's not a really good place to be in, is it? But what do you think God's priority in our lives are? Does he want us to be happy? And I'm sure if he wanted us to be happy, he would have made it a priority in his word, right? If you look up happy or happiness, how many times do you think it appears in the Bible? Ten times? Twenty times? A hundred times? Eight times. That's how much happy appears in the Bible, eight times. But what about the word joy or joyful? How many times do you think joyful appears in the Bible? So, 200 times. So, we see that joyful is 25 times more than happiness. So, it must be a priority in God's Word, right? So, in this text today, we observe that Luke is the author of this text, right? And the biblical scholars believe that Luke was a Gentile and that he was a native of Antioch. And we know in our studies of the book of Acts, he, were, he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys, as Paul referred him to as the great physician. Uh, we witness in Luke's writings that it is very detailed, it is very methodical, for Luke was a great historian. And of course, as we are aware, that Luke wrote this, or wrote this book to the great or the most excellent Theophilus, where he says that you may know with certainty of the things that have been taught in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. So Luke sets up his narratives in, the, uh, in his uh, first chapter, where he foretells the birth of John the Baptist and, of course, the birth of Jesus. So if we have a look in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 28 to 32, he, he records the, the visit of angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary. And he says this, the angel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And as we know, we can see what Mary's response is. She said, but how can this be, for I am a virgin? So the angel says to her, he responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Mary accepted this and said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And following this event, we see that Luke records Mary's song of faith, which we refer to as Mary's Magnificat, a song that reveals Mary's heart and her mind at the time, the song that is saturated with God's word. It is a song of absolute joy. And I love what Spurgeon says about it. He says that we should sing. Let us sing, because singing is the natural language of joy. And secondly, singing is the natural language of heaven. And following this, we see that once Zechariah's tongue was set free, he too sang a song of joy following the birth of John the Baptist. Now we know that following the birth of Jesus, the angel appears again 
but this time he appears to these shepherds. So we see my first point where we see the fearless joy in the Lord, which is taken from verses 8 to verse 10. Because in verse 8 it says, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now the shepherds were in Jerusalem, so they were near Bethlehem at the time. And of course many of the sheep that were there were used as sacrifices in the temple came from this area. And of course it was the shepherd's role and responsibilities to protect the sheep from all the wild animals around. They were to make sure that they were protected, that they had plenty of food and water to drink. They were also to be ensured that these sheep were well fed and that they were kept healthy. And we know that these surrounding hills were prime grazing land for the shepherds, for the sheep. And the shepherds here worked day and night all year round in these fields. And although a shepherd was considered as a major occupation during Jesus' time, it was really an unskilled labor. The shepherds were relegated to the lower socioeconomic strata. They lived outdoors and they were among the sheep, so they most likely had the odor of all the animals. But nonetheless, it is worth noting that the angels of the Lord appeared to them first to announce the birth of Jesus. And what do we witness? We witness that the glory of the Lord shone around them and that they were filled with great fear. Now, again, we see fear mentioned here. There's repetition, right? The angel appearing to somebody and there's the the feeling of fear. And I'm sure they would have been startled and they would have been fearful, right? This was a normal and appropriate response. But it is interesting that Luke takes note of this in the gospel, And he reports all of this when there is the presence of God. He reports fear in the presence of God and his works. But as we are well aware, as well we are accustomed to, fear is typically associated with a negative concept, isn't it? When we are afraid of something, we normally try to view, we normally try to avoid it, or we view it as something bad. So if you look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary, fear is defined as an unpleasant often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger, an anxious concern or an unpleasant alarm. So what happens when we are struck with fear? Well, we know that your fight and flight response kicks in, right? You become all tense. Your muscles might even shake and tremble. Your pupils dilate, right? Your heart races. Your blood pressure increases. Your mouth even dries up, and your skin might even become pale or even flushed. And I'm sure many of us know this feeling pretty well. But also, the dictionary definition notes that it also means profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. For when we read the scriptures and we understand who God is, we know that God isn't bad. God isn't negative, right? We know that He is a good God. He is our good, good Father. He is our Creator who loves us, who made us, each and every one of us, in His own image. And the Hebrew word for fear is hira, which means awe. So fear also means respect. It means reverence. It means worship. And notice that Luke uses the word Lord and God interchangeably throughout this text. If we see in verse 9, 
He says, the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around. And then verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we witness that God is being praised here with great joy, with great awe and wonder. And the Bible teaches us much about the character of God. God is our righteous creator. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He created us in his own image. He created us to be accountable to him. He created us to worship him. For God is all-seeing, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's uh, uh, omnipotent. We know that he's all-powerful, and God is also sovereign. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards commented, and he said, there is a wonderful alteration in my mind in respect to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. The doctrine has very often appeared exceeding pleasant, bright and sweet, Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. And we know that God is also righteous and that he is holy. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And now that, one would think, would, feel or would, would make us feel dread, right? We would feel this gut-wrenching fear because of God's punishment. But... Only when we truly understand our condition, right? When we truly understand our sinful nature, that we truly understand that we are merely the creature and that we are not the creator. And when we understand what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, do we really understand the awesomeness of our God? When we are able to experience this amazing, this amazing peace and this joy, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we are justified and reconciled to Him, knowing that our relationship is made right with Him, and that when we repent and we believe that we have the hope of spending eternity with Him in His kingdom, then we will truly know the true joy of, our, of God the Father, joy that we've been adopted into His family. So if we look in the text now, if we follow in verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. All people. Not just a select few, right? Not just for the Jews. Not just for the Gentiles. Not just for the Samaritans. Yes, for all people. For us, it means everyone. Canadians, Africans, Asians, Filipinos, right? It means everybody. This is great news for everybody. And John Piper notes, he says that it is clear from this context that the gospel, that the fearlessness and the greatness of the joy is not just for the shepherds. It is for everyone who says, Jesus is Lord and who is glad to do so. The word signals the calling of Jesus, my Lord and my God, is the foundation of Christian fearlessness and great joy. So we see that 
We have fearless joy in the Lord. So let's look at my second point, where there is joy in our Savior, Christ the Lord, which we see in verses 11 to verse 14. So as we continue in our text, we see the angel then responds to the shepherds and says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A clear indication of Christ's humanity as well as his deity or his divinity. So Luke tells us that he is born this day in the city of David. Now this refers to Bethlehem, right? The town where David was born. It's not referring to the city of David, which is on the southern slope of Mount Zion, which we found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And Luke writes that he is born, meaning Jesus took on flesh. So in his birth, we have the incarnation of God himself. For John 1, chapter, uh, John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, of course, we know that the work of Christ did not start in his earthly ministry or when he was born. It began in eternity past through the covenant of redemption. Now, this covenant of redemption was a pact or an agreement that occurred within the Godhead. And this is the work of the Trinity. And R.C. Sproul comments and says this. He says, The Father designed the plan of redemption. The Son assigned to accomplish this plan of redemption. And it is the Holy Spirit that applies this redemption to us. So let me repeat that again. The Father designed the plan of redemption. It was the Son who was assigned to accomplish this plan of redemption. And it is the Holy Spirit that applies this redemption plan to us. So therefore, the second person of the Trinity takes upon himself the very human nature for the purpose of redemption. And if you consider this, and if you ponder this, how amazing is this to see, right? The plan of redemption has got nothing to do with us. It is all down to God. And this should bring us great joy, shouldn't it? For if it was based on our own works, based on our own efforts, folks, we'd be in great trouble, wouldn't we? Because I would be totally petrified of this. We have a loving Father who sent His, only, His one and only Son to redeem us, to pay the penalty on our behalf. For without it, we know that we would have no hope we would be walking around like dead corpses. And notice how the angels refer to Jesus. They say, Jesus, Savior, Christ the Lord, showing His divinity, showing us His divine nature. And these three titles show the greatness of Mary's Son, right? For we see Savior, the first word, Savior. Now this is only the second place in the Gospel where we find Christ referred to as Savior, for the other one, we see it is in John chapter 4, verses 42, when the men of Sychar confessed him as Savior of the world. The second, we see him referred to as Christ, which is a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And then thirdly, we see Lord mentioned here, where Lord could either mention, mean a master, or probably it is the covenant name for God, indicating deity. So clearly, Christ 
He is also God. Now, I know for most people this is a concept that is very difficult to understand, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood it very well. Where he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippines 2, verses 5 to 11. So in theology, we refer to this passage of Paul as, the, as a kenotic hymn, where kenosis means an emptying, where the emphasis of Paul here in this translation is that Jesus underwent leaving his exalted state in heaven and becoming incarnate. There is a pattern here. There's a pattern of exaltation. There's a pattern of humiliation. And then again, exaltation where we see Christ started in heaven, in the exalted heaven, where he descended down to earth, and he was humiliated by taking on human flesh, and he joined us in our predicament here in order to redeem us, and on the cross, the ultimate humiliation, right? However, through his resurrection and his ascension, Christ is again exalted into heaven. And the angels expressed to the shepherds that there will be a sign. And what was the sign? That they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I mean, what miserable circumstances to be born in. To be born in a stinky stable with animals around and in a feeding trough. Certainly not a place fit for a king. It appears really sad. It appears really pathetic hardly worth the wait for Israel's long-awaited Messiah, King of the Jews. But this is exactly how God ordained it. This is exactly how the prophets foretold it. And we see that the angels, that suddenly with the angels, there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This must have been such a magnificent and awesome sight. Picture the heaven filled with thousands upon thousands of angels, like an army encampment. And Jesus also referred to this military image in the Gospel of Matthew, when he said to them, as they rested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Do you not think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But of course, instead of declaring war, right, they declared peace. Peace among those whom he is pleased. So it is not a universal declaration of peace to all humanity, right? It is a gracious gift to those who are objects of his pleasure. Now one commentator notes 
and declares that the world needed peace then, and the world needs peace now. He says, even the pagans of the first century world sensed this need for peace and a savior. Epictetus, a first century pagan writer, expressed, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, from grief, from envy. He cannot give peace of the heart, which man yearns for more and more, for even this outward peace. And if we observe the Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah, we see the picture and this imagery of peace and joy, don't we? So if you look in your Bibles and turn to look at Isaiah chapter 5, beginning from the first verse, we see this picture of a desert, this picture of a dry land, this wilderness. But this wilderness will blossom again, right? The wilderness will rejoice and will blossom. The crocus will again burst into bloom, and it will rejoice greatly, and it will shout for joy. We see a dramatic change in the landscape here, for Isaiah foretells the messianic age to come. For the tone and the language here used is one of great joy. For we remember God's people once made their exodus through the desert, but their homecoming is through this wonderful blossoming landscape that is exploding with joy. And essentially, the curse of Genesis will be reversed. Look in verses 3 and 4 with me. He says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Look at this amazing, wonderful promise. God will come and save you. He will also strengthen you. He will also help us to persevere. And this is only possible because of his commitment to his people, to us as believers. His promises are trustworthy and they are true. And this should fill us with great joy this Christmas season. And Isaiah also tells us that the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer and the mute sing for joy. Here, of course, Isaiah points to the promised future of the first coming of Jesus Christ. And, of course, we have the luxury of hindsight where we look back at Jesus' teachings, right? Jesus performed many signs. He performed many miracles and wonders. He demonstrated his amazing power and his amazing grace towards humanity. And again, this should fill us with great joy, for the salvation of God provides not only spiritual healing, but it will be physical healing as well. Physical healing in the sense that it will be fully realized in our resurrected bodies when we join Christ on his second return. So, we see that there is amazing joy in our Savior Christ the Lord. So, turn and look at my third point, where... There is joy in responding to the good news in verses 15 to 20. So when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So we observe here that the shepherds made haste. They didn't hesitate or hang around for a while. Upon hearing this great, wonderful, joyful news, they showed a genuine sign of urgency, a sign that we, and what was the sign, sorry, that they would look for? Well, the angel said again they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, of course, it wouldn't have been unusual to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths because in the Gospel of Matthew, as we well know, that there were many, many babies born that evening in Bethlehem that night, right? But it would have been certainly strange to have found a baby lying in a manger, in a feeding trough. The angel had not told him, if the angel had not told him to look for such a specific sign, I'm sure they wouldn't have believed it or they would have missed it completely. And I'm sure the sign would have been for identification purposes. And what did they find? Well, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And it must have been such a strange sight to have seen, but a very specific sight that the angels reported to them. And I doubt any other child born that evening would have been in such a setting as well. And Calvin wrote this in his commentary. He said, This was a revolting sight and was sufficient of itself to produce an aversion to Christ. For what could have been more improbable than to believe that he was the king of the whole people who was deemed unworthy to be ranked with the lowest of the multitude. And I like Bob Diffenbauer's commentary. He makes a very interesting observation. He says, The two most pathetic factors in the birth of our Lord is his swaddling cloths and his cattle feeding trough bed not only set this child apart from others, but also identified him with the shepherds. One of the, one of the names of the Messiah is Emmanuel, God is with us. And the circumstances of our Lord's birth is uniquely defined is that the Lord Jesus is associated with the shepherds. Well, how is this? Well, the Lord seemingly had no roof over his head, no house to dwell in. Well, neither did the shepherds, did they? They slept under the stars as they cared for their flocks by night. Jesus was poor and of no reputation. And uh, Jesus, who was also supposed to be the sacrificial lamb of God and the good shepherd, and he identified himself with his shepherds by being found in this cattle feeding trough. And we also consider that uh, one is unclean because of their contact with animals. So the shepherds were unclean. So Jesus was unclean. What a beautiful and amazing picture we see of the Lord's humiliation and identification with men. Even the most humblest of men rejected and despised men, the shepherds. But perhaps you are sitting here listening to this message and haven't responded to the gospel of grace yet where you are living your life of sin, thinking that there is no consequences to it. But the scriptures are very clear here. If you don't share in the humiliation of Christ, then 
You will never share in his exaltation. You will never share or experience the joy and the peace that comes from repenting of your sin and choosing to follow Christ and to believe in the risen Christ. Yes, you may experience happiness in your life, but you'll never truly experience the joy that comes with knowing Christ personally, knowing him as Lord and Savior. And the scriptures make it clear, if you choose to go down this path on the day of judgment when our sins are before the Holy God, uh, you will choose to pay for that penalty. You will, you will pay for that penalty yourself. So instead, why not accept this free gift offered by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Repent and believe in the good news. It is never too late to change your mind. For we see that the shepherds responded with haste. They didn't hang around and say, well, let me check my Google calendar and see if I'm available maybe in January the 15th and see then I can visit the Lord. No, they responded with haste. So respond with haste. Don't think that you can live your life thinking, okay, maybe in a couple of years' time I'll consider this. Respond with haste to the gospel. And notice the response of the shepherds, okay? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So when they heard the news, they went around telling people about this good news. These shepherds, on the bottom of the social scale in Israel, they were chosen as the first preachers of the newborn king. Slowly, this strange story must have spread around the city. Think about it, the vision of Zacharias, the story of Mary, the two strange births that took place, and now this marvelous experience by the shepherds. And of course, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, we see that there is the arrival of the Magi as well for the newborn Messiah. And Luke tells us that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then NIV version tells us that all were amazed. So there's a thread that runs throughout Luke's gospel. We witness the shepherds returning. We witness the shepherds glorifying and praising God of all the things that they heard and seen. For they were experiencing much joy in their hearts. They responded to the good news with much joy. So perhaps you are a believer sitting here and you are not feeling the joy of Christmas this season. Perhaps you're going through some sort of crisis or you are living in a valley of depression and feeling that you are immune from joy this season. Perhaps you're feeling fearful and afraid. But remember, fear will only choke you. Fear will limit you. It will stunt your growth. It will stunt your spiritual growth. He just wants you to hide your talents in the ground, your God-given abilities to hide it in the ground. Fear desires to pull you away from God. And that's exactly what the devil wants, isn't it? He wants you to be ineffective. So brothers and sisters, let God's word strengthen your passion in the gospel. God desires you and I to experience much joy. He wants us to be content. He wants us to be confident in the hope that comes with trusting in Him. 
joy, unlike happiness, is not built on our surrounding circumstances, but it is built by Christ living and dwelling inside of us. And as long as Christ dwells inside of us, then joy will never leave us. So no matter what you are going through, you can have joy because God is with you. When you go through good days, you will experience joy. When you go through bad days, you will experience joy. When you go through much trials and tribulations and sufferings, you will experience joy. When things go your way, you'll have joy. When things don't go your way, you will still have joy. God wants you to impact the world and transform it. Through your example of joy and obedience, you can direct others to Christ as well. So hold fast to God and His promises. He will sustain you during these trials of tribulation. He will help you to persevere. And of course, if you lack wisdom, all you need to do is ask God for wisdom. And remember in our recent study of the book of Acts, the apostles experienced much trials and tribulations during their missionary journeys, right? For Paul must have been really suffering during his, his times. He had many trials and tribulations. But look what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. The Apostle Paul tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He repeats this. Where there's repetition, there's emphasis. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4-7. So this Christmas, I want you to experience the fearlessness or the fearless joy in the Lord. Experience the joy that comes from knowing the love of Christ, our Lord. And respond to the gospel with great joy by spreading this message of good news. So let us pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that your word and your message brings great joy to our hearts. Knowing that you are almighty, Father, that you are sovereign and that you are holy. And Lord that we will be held responsible for our sin, but it is only because of what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, that we are reconciled and justified to you, Lord. We are set free from the bondage of sin, Lord, and we have the victory over sin and death because of what your Son accomplished on the cross, Lord. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you. And we ask this all in your Son's precious name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.